Deep and meaningful conversations to connect, find calm, feel empowered and uncover clarity. Welcome to the Death Dying Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. All right. Welcome Libby Maloney to their podcast. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Julie. How are you? Very good. So you are a holistic funeral director and your business is called Natural Grace. So what's a holistic funeral director? I'm sure people are thinking, never heard of that. A holistic funeral care is looking at at us and our families and our communities and the way we've lived our life and the things that have been important to us and really using those to make a values-driven decision around how our lives will be honoured as we depart. So it's much bigger than than sort of a service provision which of conventional funeral industry, which is all done beautifully. As across Australia, you know, funeral care is really high quality. But um, often the things that we hear are there wasn't enough of the person in the ceremony, you know, that 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 it was what you always do. Or we went to church, but we didn't really want to, or you know, just just wasn't enough about the person and we didn't feel we had enough time and we would have been in light to involved in dressing them and washing them. And if we'd known that we could be the celebrant, we would have done it, yeah. you know, all those sort of things. So it's looking at the whole person in the whole context of all their relationships and in terms of their whole lives, so where they've come from, what their spiritual beliefs might be, things that they've believed in. So we're a totally um, chemical-free company. We're environmentally conscious as well, so we're holistic in our practice in caring for the earth as well. Yep. And every step of the journey is environmentally sustainable as well, mm. and that's often, you know, well, pretty much all our clients, that's um, a really imperative part of yep. their Voices at end of life. Yeah, so that's what's a holistic funeral director. I mean, when you think about being a funeral director, it's a bit of an unusual position or a job, isn't it, really? So how did you find yourself uh, opening up Natural Grace and how did you yeah, how did you fall into the funeral industry? Because if I remember, you were an accountant by trade, weren't you? Yes, 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 back in the old days. <laughs> <laughs> So my story is is essentially that I was bereaved as a young woman. My husband died when I was 26 years old and our child was two. And Peter had beautiful conventional, but, but nonetheless beautifully prepared, not a problem in the world, funeral. And as my bereavement went on and I sort of looked back on, on my time with him and sort of overcame the trauma a little bit, I really started to think about where was he in, in that funeral, you know, and he was a poet and a mad footy guy and a storyteller and he didn't have any of that in his, his funeral, little tiny bits. I don't have a lock of his chocolate brown hair. Nobody offered me that. I didn't wash him and I didn't dress him and I didn't care for him, not because I wouldn't have, but because nobody told me I could. Mm. So for 10 years, I studied and read everything I could get my hands on. I travelled. I went to funerals in Bali. I went to all sorts of places and talked to all sorts of people and thought, how how can this be different? How can this be led by the people it should be led by, which is families or close friends or whoever the main people are? And how do I make a path for that in a very tightly held industry? Mm. There was, wasn't really a place for me. And also coming from an accounting background, which was very much, you know, sort of pen and paper 
based in an administrative, I really didn't want to get into administrative kind of role in the, it's like the conventional funeral industries tick a lot of boxes and fill in a lot of forms. Yeah. So none of that interested me. So then I just kept pushing and pushing. I thought, how? We can do it. We can do this environmentally consciously. We can do this from families. And then to be totally frank with you, I had a few glasses of wine, went to bed in despair, woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning and went, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. I was, oh, fuck it. I'm going to do it myself. And I got up and filled in the form online that lets you be a funeral director in Victoria. Wow. That's a beautiful story, though. And, I mean, I know you, so that's why I know what a beautiful person you are and and what beautiful work you do. So how did you find yourself, because I know that you do a lot of work with families who have had children that have died and babies and young people. So how did that evolve, you know, from like, you know, from looking after everybody to people looking at you as somebody that was really there in a different way to normal funerals? I think essentially it comes down to we weren't bound by old ways of doing things because we mm. never did old ways of doing things. And there's lots of beauty in ancient ways of doing things. Yes. So in olden days, if a baby was born still, the baby would have been born at home possibly part of the reason you know, there may have been birth complications or whatever, but its funeral rites would have been at home. Mm. The baby's funeral would have been held by the mother and cared by the mother at home and the family and the community would have built the baby a little coffin and they would have carried the little coffin down to the cemetery on their own steam, in their own way, and the mother would have still held that baby and, and then gone through that as family rituals. So that ancient part of doing things is, is what we draw on every day. Mm. What has happened, though, is somewhere between when that happened and and now it became de rigueur that babies were taken away from their parents, of course, which has stopped now. Hospitals do a beautiful job. But still they would go to funeral homes and um, and sort of be, you know, outsourced, if you Mm. like. So because we never suffered from that, that was never part of our practice, we have this beautiful freedom to say, well, if my baby died, how would I want to look after it? And so we just started doing that. And I build relationships. Everywhere I go, I build relationships and find amazing people like yourself. And I got to know a couple of the bereavement midwives at some of the hospitals and offered what I thought and my team thought was gentle care, natural care, but also modern. You know, this idea that that, that the mothers of today all like, some do, but don't all like bright, shiny pink or, you know, electric blue because it's a girl or a boy. A lot of families want just a bamboo wrap and neutral colours and modern taste and styles. So we bought an offering to the market that said, come into our sanctuary, into our little vigil room, and we'll have a beautiful little wicker basket for your baby to be lying in, and you can come and just cuddle. And if you want to have a have some time caring, you know, we do a bit of essentially midwifery, I suppose, in a way of showing them how to change the baby's nappy and how to swaddle them. And we support families to take their babies home so that they can lie in their own cot and be taken for a drive in their own prams and meet the dog and all those things. So it really just came from saying if we walked in those shoes and some of our team are bereaved parents, if we walked in their shoes, how would that care look mm. like? And then, of course, all the young, if, you, if, you, if you've had a baby that died, you're, you're tech-savvy. So they're all socially connected by mm. social media and we earned their trust. 
And now they refer to each other. So that part of our business just grew and grew and grew because it's beautiful, it's gentle, Mm. it's, it's modern, and it empowers the families. A diagnosis or a shift in life circumstances can be stressful and upsetting for you and your family. We can help. Let our experienced team support and guide you to feel safe, secure, and at peace with your decisions. Visit doulaconnections.com.au. So when you first meet your family, how do you develop your relationship, your rapport with them? How do you get them to trust you, you know? And know that you're you're the right people to be able to care for their loved one. I think you can't fake this job. Mm. You can't do this job if you are just doing a job. You can't do this job if you're tired with it. So when you walk into a family home and and you trust that you'll put your heart forward and yourself forward, your genuine self forward, and that you'll receive the person walking towards you in the same way, you don't always know what will happen, but something will. Yeah. Something will resonate where you energetically connect, where the dog will come running up to you and say hello first, you know, and by how you respond to animals often makes people go, oh, well, she likes a dog, the dog like her, that's a good sign, <laughs> you know. That sort yep, of thing. yep. Commonly, of course, there's been a referral point, so that's always nice. Um, we make sure our photos are on our website so that they can recognise us and they know who's coming. It's not like someone will show up. It'll be Libby that shows up or Benita shows up or Melinda's coming to see you today, so they know who's coming. We take a lot of time in the pre-phone calls So they've had a lot of care, a lot of fact sheets sent, a lot of support sent through first. But then some, usually, you know what, something funny happens. And I don't know whether that's my angels, my spirit guides, my people that hang out with me, but the universe always kindly presents something. And we have a mantra at Natural Graces, we can't always tell you exactly what's going to happen, but if it goes wrong, we damn straight know we know how to fix it. Mm. and if we don't know what it is yet, we just know it will present. And I think when you show up in the world with that level of genuine intent, when you're willing to say sorry if you've got something wrong, when you are willing to be brave and say, I've just literally got off the phone with, with a, a mother who's, whose teenager was killed on the road here last week, and, and I just said, you know, our hearts are with you. As a mother to a mother, you know, none of us know, but... We're with you and thank you for trusting us. And she just went, great, thanks. Because Mm. I didn't say anything stupid like, you know, he's passed on or he's lost or anything. You know, I just was like, man, forget that I'm a funeral director. I'm just another mother right now going, what the hell? You know, this is ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, human nature recognizes what it needs yeah and that's part of being a holistic practitioner is that we back ourselves that we know have no idea what we're working into we don't know if there's 20 people in that house we don't know if there's one person in that house we don't know anything but we walk in with our hearts and our minds open and we just say we're here to offer you care what does that mean to you yeah not what i want you to do not for my need you to fill in but what what is it that you need? And um, 
And for us, much of that is in the magic and the healing of vigil time, mm-hmm. which comes well before we even talk about funerals. So let's talk about that a little bit more. So tell me, tell me more about vigil because it's not a word that you hear people use a lot, but what is vigil and, and how do you explain that to people and what can you offer them in that? Mm-hmm. So to, to so conventionally, the, the funeral industries use the word viewing, and a lot of people do know that, that they would attend the funeral parlour and have a viewing, which is where the person would already be, gen, generally speaking, already in their coffin and often already dressed and, and sometimes even with makeup and stuff on their faces. And the people sort of attend and they kind of peer into the coffin mm. and they kind of go, yep, I've seen them. And then they sort of don't really know what to do, and then they go home. And sometimes that's 10 minutes, sometimes it's half an hour or so, but that's that's a viewing. Mm. To vigil, to hold vigil is to is to wait with someone. And and the word vigil is commonly used even at end of life where a family will establish a 24-hour vigil so someone that's dying is never alone and they take a roster, you know, and people will sleep and then another group will come in and they'll hold vigil with that person. And, and that's not always been possible for sudden death and, and things like that. Of course, that, that was just not a thing. So after death, you can hold vigil as well. And what we've found by offering the opportunity to reunite families, so for all expected and unexpected deaths, but particularly for traumatic and unexpected deaths, you, that person left the home that morning and never came back because mm. by virtue of being unexpected, they've ended up with the coroner. So the next time they see them under a conventional approach would really, they'd be in their coffin at the front of the church or the hall or wherever in front of a couple of hundred people and the person's gone from a phone call to that. Oh. So visual, yeah, yeah. And it's, it was just learning, Julie, just learning and seeing the wonder and the, the awe and the pride and the satisfaction from families saying, put us back together, reunite yep. us with our person, and then you know, nearly always with our guidance, often just a little tiny bit, even just standing outside the door, but, you know, starting off with our guidance, then washing that person, just giving them a little wash, just beautiful warm water and essential oils and face washes, and, and they just, you know, dwindle on their faces and just, you know, wash them. Mm-hmm. And then we'll offer them the opportunity to anoint the person's body. So that's just using gold, frankincense and myrrh in oil and cream form and, and just the opportunity to, to touch their limbs and massage their feet and be with that person. And then they often get a lot of hilarity out of getting them dressed. Yeah. I feel really empowered by that. It's really yeah. funny. And, 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 and we start the vigil by us by saying to the person that's died, you know, we're here we're going to get you ready. Mm. And we ask straight up for your forgiveness because we're probably going to muck some of this up, you know, <laughs> or it's going to be a bit clunky or whatever. And that gives the people in the room the permission to be a bit clunky. They've never dressed a dead body before, mm. but they want to. So if we just put it out there, and then they sort of get them all settled and they tuck them up into bed and then often flowers and love notes and all sorts of things get smothered all over them. And, and then they just sit and they be yeah. there. And incredible pride that comes from that, having been done under their own steam. Yep. And the intimacy and the privacy 
of having done that themselves often gives the sort of immediate people, so, you know, commonly a family, but a group of friends sometimes, their own little private funeral. And then when they come to the funeral ceremony in a week's time or whenever it is, they sort of go into host mode. Mm. You know, they're saying, you're welcome into our space to hold a funeral ceremony to honour the life of our person. But because they've already attended to a lot of their own private needs for, to say sorry, to ask for forgiveness, to love their person, to care for them. We've seen people come into vigil unable to speak mm. and walk out of vigil going, right, ready now, let's do this, let's do that, let's organise the funeral. You know, mothers that have come and stayed in vigil, you know, slept on the couch in our sanctuary for a couple of days and then, ding, they're like, okay, What's I'm next? Ready. I can now. Yeah. And if you interrupt that before it's ready, if you remove a child from a parent or anybody from anybody before they're ready in their whole being to give you that permission to take them away, then that's a permanent rupture in their grieving process mm-hmm. and um, often leads to complicated bereavement outcomes, which is yeah. a significant health issue. Yeah, I've certainly, you know, in my old nursing background, et cetera, but had a, lot, had a lot of conversations with people that had actually said to me, we weren't even sure they were dead. We never saw them. There wasn't, a, there wasn't and this is years ago, there wasn't a viewing, there was nothing. And it was like, they, I can remember people saying to me, well, there was the box, but how do I know that they are actually in there? So it's amazing on what what can play on people's minds you know, if they're not supported and loved and given the care that they that they need. So, yeah, it's beautiful, Libby. Yeah. We don't sell anything but time. Yeah. You know, it's just time. Yeah. Everybody that comes into our care at Natural Grace, so they say, say, you know, granny dies in aged care in the night, they'll ring and we'll settle them and then we ring the family and say, your mother's tucked up safely with us now. So they know exactly where they are every time, every point yep. in the journey mysteries and the number of people that say to us that's that that earned their trust mm. you know just that phone call right from the start and it's such a simple thing libby like it's a couple of minutes on the phone like such wow. a simple thing you know yeah. and you know back in the day jackie um our holistic mortician and my business partner because we did all those transfers ourselves we were earning our stripes and everything and, and we don't do them anymore and the families know that we have people that help us do that but whichever funeral directors on call will always ring the person and say they're here they're tucked up it's all good yeah. And, and we ask the families in advance, would you like a phone call or would you like a text? Because, you know, sometimes it's in the night and they'll say which one they want and they know that they're, they're going to be informed. This mum that I was just talking to then, she just said, I know what's happened. I can't undo it. That's a quite pragmatic thinker. But she said, I need to know at every point of the journey where my son is. Yes. And straight you do. So within minutes of him arriving at our sanctuary from the coroner, I was on the phone to her saying he's here. He's here. Yep. I even love your word sanctuary that you've used, you know, even your word sanctuary like that. That's a, it's a beautiful word, you know, and it means something. Well, our purpose for being at Natural Grace is to make gentle the effect of death. Yep. So if every step we can take to not deny that it's true, like that's we're not beating around the bush, we're not covering it up or pretending, but we can make the effect of it gentle. Mm. 
And if if families leave our care having had a gentle experience of, of loads of love, loads of support, loads of time, you know, when we when we ring and say that person's tucked up, we'll say it's okay to rest for a day or yep. two days. Call us when you're ready. <gasps> and everybody goes, really? And I go, yeah, of course. Just mm. how can you make good decisions when you've been up nursing a dying person for days? Yeah, true. Rest. Shower, eat mm. if you can, you know, just little bits of self-care. And then you'll know when you're ready and that's when you ring us. And the gratitude, oh, thank you, thank you. It's like, you know, hey. Yeah. But the permission giving, mm. because someone who's who's not grieving and whose brains are working, because grief usually makes your brain not work Yeah, well, sure. Says to you, you know what, there is no hurry. Mm. You don't have to hurry. No yep. funeral director's going to be on your doorstep asking you to sign contracts tomorrow. Yeah. You're not allowed to sign anything with us until you've had two nights sleep. Yeah. We can't give you consent if you haven't rested. Moments are precious. How do you make the most of your time with a loved one during their final days and hours? We can help your friends and family feel nurtured and supported during this difficult time. Visit doulaconnections.com.au. Just changing the tactic a little bit there, the tact of what we're going, I'm, I'm interested in the environmental stuff because I know that I, th- I often think that there's people, a lot, most people in Australia don't know that you can have shrouded burials or that, you, you know, you don't need coffins and you don't need to do all these things. And I think that there are a lot of environmentally conscious people. So what are their options? Like, What are the choices? And I know the states are different, but can you talk us through the environmental side of bodies and how you can dispose of them in a way that is environmentally conscious? So the most important thing is to not do anything you don't want to do. So environmental responsibility around funeral care and cemeteries and disposing of bodies is really not doing a whole lot of stuff. So the prime one that people often ask about, of course, is embalming a body. Like how do you how do you preserve a body and keep it safe from the time of death until the funeral? And, you know, for a long time embalming has been the approach and for a lot of companies they embalm everything and everybody. And that's just a process that just doesn't need to happen. It it just simply doesn't need to happen. So if you think about it's an invasive process, it often involves chemicals. They say there's some natural natural methods that they're using, but I'm yet to hear anybody say that it works or that it's positive. I'm happy to be wrong about that one, but it's just an unnecessary process. The way we care for a body is just to keep it cool, just Mm. simply to keep it cool. And by doing that, you you um, eliminate that need for the, the embalming process. Things like home-based care cuts down on the amount of travel. Things like asking all your family to bring, a, you know, a sprig of greenery from the garden decorates a space beautifully without having to buy formal flowers or balloons and all this other stuff. Um a shroud is, is you know, a, a, a simply a piece of fabric that we wrap a body in in order to, to lay it in the earth or to take for cremation. So that's often, you know, calico or, or linen or sometimes it's somebody's doona cover or, mm. you know, something that they already own that they're reusing into this use. And then when we talk to the cemeteries, um, the, the practice of natural burial is, you know, the in, interment of a human body into the earth with a, to minimise as much as possible the impact on the, on the local ecosystem. So that's, that's the natural death advocacy network's definition. And really what we're saying is 
don't put other stuff in there. Just lay the body gently in the earth, wrapped in fabric, you know, cover it up with all those beautiful gifts of little bits of greenery from, from the family. The depth of the grave is shallower, Julie. So the Victorian legislation, and it's fairly common around the country, is that you only need 75 centimetres of earth above the height of the coffin or the person's shroud. And what that allows is a whole lot of oxygen to be in the soil at that depth. And the activity and the creatures and the air and the oxygen, you know, I'm no scientist, but the simple language means that the body is, is returned back to nature cleanly, fairly swiftly, and it doesn't produce carbon dioxide gases because it's not down in an unoxygenated um, area. So it's, it's a shallow burial is a really important part of natural burial. It's also psychologically really um, healthy because it's sort of you can pretty much lower the person in by hand. You know, you and you could reach in and still touch them. You don't. It's not this big, massive, deep hole. Yeah, people are staring down, going, "Oh my God, they've gone down forever." You know, one of the beautiful practices for natural burial is the opportunity for families to fill the grave themselves. So we bring, you know, five or six spades, or they bring their own spades from their own sheds, and everybody shovels the dirt in, and then passes the spade to the next person when they need a rest. And yep. it only takes about half an hour. It's amazing. But the healing and the camaraderie and the love that goes into burying our own dead Mm. is so good for our souls. Like every family that's done it has gone, that was the best. Like, oh, my God, that was the best part. That was so good to do. And then, of course, we haven't used a machine either. So that's the side of it. So, you know, that's a whole podcast in itself. Yeah. It's it's what you don't do. Sensible choices. There are good environmental choices. The other thing that, that Natural Grace we're very proud of is, is a few years ago now we, we pioneered and, and introduced to the Victorian community and, and now has gone on to other states as well the practice of what we call shrouded cremation. So that's cremation with the same principles, you know, no embalming, natural fibres, the body's been wrapped in, you know, minimising all of those things. And the body goes off for cremation on, on a simple piece of timber what's called a shroud bearer so no coffin is used for cremation which significantly saves on those resources so do all the the like is it a special cemeteries where you can do the shallow burials or special crematoriums or is it just any of them you can request it yeah well look so in Victoria, we've got all the crematoriums on board with shrouded cremation, except for one of the cemetery trusts, the Southern Metropolitan Cemetery Trust, haven't have decided not to pursue that as an option. I, I think community pressure will come to play and, and hopefully they'll change their mind soon. But everyone else is, so all the regional crematoriums here, the Tasmanian crematoriums are doing it and I believe the South Australians are. And New South Wales is has it under review in their current funeral industry review that they're conducting. Mm. Um, and there's a strong group lobbying for that in New South Wales. So, yes, so it's commonly available in Victoria. From a burial perspective, we've... N- often had to work very closely with the cemetery trust to get them to trust that it's safe and that it's mm. legal and that it's okay. But we've never not had it accepted okay. at any cemetery that we've gone to. So anybody that's listening to this podcast and thinks their local cemetery might be unsure, please get in touch through our website and we're we're really strong advocates and there's no fees or anything. It's just pure love that we just want this practice known. 
And one of the other important things too, if you sort of Google natural burial or natural burial grounds globally, there's a there's a movement around that. And there's a lot of opinions, of course, about it can only be done here or only in certain parts of a cemetery. Yep. And, you know, there are some cemeteries that have natural sections. That's absolutely true. But the practice of natural burial, applying all the principles and aligning to that that way is possible in any grave in any cemetery. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be in a specific section yet. Have you ever thought about how you'd like to spend the last few days and hours of your life? Or how you'd like to acknowledge loved ones or your own life and death? We can help you to create an experience that's as individual as you are. Let us help. DoulaConnections.com.au Can you now talk to me about ceremony and ritual you know so that you know people can sort of understand maybe some of the choices and options and things that they could do that might make it more memorable or more special or you know something that that they look back on as something that was a gift rather than a trauma yeah 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 and look you know one of the silver linings of COVID has 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 meant that we've had to really look into this even more than we did before and we were doing it a lot before when our normal funeral rites and rituals have sort of been so significantly reduced by lockdowns and numbers numbers and 10 people at a funeral or whatever it's it's really engaged families to think more creatively around mm. what meaning there is for them so We've done things like a family, again, a young person who who would have had thousands, and there were thousands of people on the live stream, um, but we could only have the 10. And so we set the table. We had a venue that you know, was the funeral and we set the table for family lunch mm. and they all sat together and ate a meal together and the ceremony happened. There was, you know, stories that were told in eulogies and photos played on the board and everything and it was all streamed to the community but what they did was eat a meal together mm. and that's a funeral yeah you know? some people the idea of suits and lining up in rows and all that sort of thing doesn't work and so taking their person home in the spud truck out into the paddock having a big family picnic and whenever anybody's ready they stand up and tell a story or bringing out the art materials and painting the coffin. Mm. Things like people being brave enough to sing their own music or play the instrument in a, in a ceremony. It, it, and we draw on elements all the time and some things are so sweet and so funny. So, for example, any of us, that any listeners that have done, been at a Catholic Mass, there's a part of the Mass that's called Prayers of the Faithful. And it's actually a lovely part of the Mass where, where prayers are offered in gratitude for the person's life and in gratitude for the people that may have cared for them and to pray for people in need in the community. And, of course, not everybody's Catholic or they're damaged Catholic or they're whatever, but there's elements of these things that are so beautiful. So mm. we'll often have a, a part of the ceremony called expressions of gratitude and anybody can stand up and they'll just go, I love Julie because, or Julie cracked me up because, or Julie gave me the shits because, you know, or whatever it was, you know. And humour is so imperative in all of this. You know, funny people need funny stuff and it's fine to laugh at funerals. And so that can be really spontaneous and, and lovely and a good way of including everyone. Inclusion is really important. Vigil as a ritual and ceremony is really important. Mm. 
A funeral can be something as simple as we have a lot of gatherings at Natural Grace. So it's just the family come together. Often um, elders in families, you know, if you're 95, your own mates have died, you know, nobody else can come. It might be the lady that's died and her two sons who are probably in their 70s as well, maybe their spouses and a, and a grandchild or two sort of thing, you know, who's, who's 50 as well. And so often the groups are really little. So we'll say to them, well, what was your mum's favourite thing to do? And it's nearly always a glass of wine or <laughs> a cup of tea and cake, one of the two. And so I'll say, good. So we get the caterer in, we get cups of tea and cake or we get wine and cheese and the family just gather in our sanctuary. They just get together. Mum's in, you know, in her coffin under the window, you're just there with them and, and they hang out. Yeah. And that's normal. So, you know, it, it, there is no limit there is no limit to what can be done. And I think where the great satisfaction and joy of our work comes from is all we do is sit there and say, who are they? What would they like? What, mm. what makes you smile when you think of that person? And then something will come and then bloop, 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 it all just rolls and out. Oh, yeah, beautiful. And, yeah, and the family feel like they did it themselves and they did. All we did was spark it. Yep. And it's uh, the satisfaction in families of having put that together themselves mm. is um, it's beautiful. amazing. So my last question is I'm thinking about people wanting the style of funerals that you provide and maybe they've never experienced that, like a holistic funeral director or a natural birth. How did, and, and, you and you know, natural grace isn't in every town and city yet <laughs> in Australia. <laughs> so what would you suggest that people do when they're trying to arrange things? What questions do they ask? How do they pick the right funeral director? How do they how do they get people to listen that they might want something that's a little bit different to what they normally do? So what would you do? How would how would you talk to them? That's another excellent question. So the the first thing really is to be brave enough to have a conversation about end of life, death and funeral in your living time. If nothing else, every single Australian committed to telling their next of kin whether they wanted burial or cremation, you know, and some key elements like do take me to church, don't take me to church. I want Bob to speak. God, don't let Bob speak. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know you think I want to go in my footy gear, but I actually do want to go in a suit or the other way around. You yeah. know, just some key elements that would give people some guidance mm. to start. And that is an act of love. Yeah. And you don't even have to have the conversation. Just jot it down and put it in your top drawer. It, it doesn't matter how it's delivered. Just get that out there. It's like you wouldn't not have a will, then don't not have a basic indication of your funeral wishes. Just just gift that to your family. Yep. Then I would say be brave and don't surrender your position. So... Funeral directors are there to provide the service of funeral directing, which, yet it's very simplest, is to transfer bodies from places of death to where their next place of care is, so whether that's home or to the funeral parlour usually, to the supply of coffins and transport on the day to take coffins where they need to be and to organise things. And that, that's, you know, that's event, it's, it's, it's end-of-life event management. Yeah. A lot of right so 
if you surrender to that, you're going to get what that funeral company can most easily do, can most cheaply do, can, you know, fits in with their pattern. Some people call that cookie cutter of just going, well, the family aren't, aren't exercising their right to, to say what they want, so we'll just deliver this, you know. So it's easy to kind of funeral, say the funeral directors don't do enough, but the families have to meet the funeral director in that relationship and say, yeah. well, actually, I want this. And if the funeral director says, no, find a different funeral director, I mean, it's simple as that. But tap into your own creativity. Understand what your rights are. So, for example, you do not need to use a celebrant that's provided by the funeral parlour or that's a registered celebrant like you do for a wedding, right? You can have anybody be the celebrant. You can be the celebrant yourself. Anybody can be the celebrant for a funeral. You don't have to use a coffin. You don't have to use bought flowers. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do anything. So if you know what the law is and and you know what you have to do, which is very tiny, then everything else is a big, beautiful choice. Mm. And one of the people, two sets of people are around the, the country that everyone with a little bit of research can get hold of, and that is a doula. Good doulas, um, particularly doulas prepared by, um, trained by preparing the way, you, they know all this stuff. They know how to advocate for people. They know how to, to um, provide the care and the guidance and the support to plan the funeral how you want it to be. And then they'll help you instruct the funeral director about what you want. Mm. So a good doula is an absolute godsend. And, um, and celebrants too. They often are really aware and celebrants get a bit of a rough run because often they're relying on the funeral director to provide them with the work, whereas an independent celebrant, and I think you've had Sally Cant on and she, people can contact her. She's got celebrants all over the country. They know how to represent a family as the primary client, not the funeral director being the primary client. Yeah. So know what you want. Explore your options. Have a plan. Be brave. And touch into resources that can help you. So celebrancy, dollars, and um, you can always get in touch with us and we'll direct you to the people we know are in certain communities around. Oh, that's wonderful. All right, so thank you for that. So how do people reach out if they want to connect with you? So what's the best way? So our website is naturalgrace.com.au. We're literally about to launch a beautiful new website that's just full to the brim with fact sheets and information and sharing and we hope there's nothing you can't find on it. Please let us know if, if there's anything and then there's there's contact details there. Send right. us an email, um, get in touch, go through our Facebook, whatever is right for you and, and let us know if we can help. We certainly will. Because that sounds like a great resource that anybody could look at regardless of where you live to get ideas. So that's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, Libby. And I would love to have you back again and talk more about all sorts of things, the environmental stuff, the vigil stuff, because I think people, oh, well, actually, I know people are interested and want to hear more. So thank you very much, Libby. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me. We hope you found this conversation and information interesting, helpful and empowering with the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Help us empower others by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen. 